Well, hey guys, how we doing? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands right now. Welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Matt. We are glad that you're here today. Hey, we're going to jump right in today. We've been in a series called God Never Said That. And what we've done in the previous two weeks is we've taken some idea that we as believers have either soaked into ourselves or we did some idea that's in the culture that persists that God really never said. And if you missed the first couple of weeks of our series, I want to encourage you, go check the podcast. You will not be disappointed. Uh, But we're here today to talk about another one of those things. And I got the easy one, actually. So let's get right to it. In your notes this week, God just wants me to be happy. I told you it was easy because that's pretty much true, right? I mean, God wants us to be happy that That has played out for me lots of times in my life. There's uh, plenty of times where I thought this was true. Uh, Remember high school? Anybody been to high school? Want to forget high school in high school right now? Awkward laughter. I love that. Heard you out there, Banta. By the way, welcome to all of our friends from Banta and Franklin and online and here at our broadcast campus. Glad to see all of you. So, okay, we're in high school. It's senior year. It's senior day which is basically the day that we seniors show up. We practice not falling on stage uh, for graduation and we pretty much do nothing else. Love that day. So I'm hanging out with some friends and uh, just kind of chatting about the, the memories over the last 12, 13 years or so. And well, I saw that girl, y- you know, the, the girl that like floated on a cloud anytime you were nearby, like the one that was just out of reach or like always in a relationship or something like that. You see, I saw that girl and my friend said, do it. (laughs) Go talk to her. It's like, oh, come on, no. My friend said, listen, like she broke up with her boyfriend, like she's available, you're available, come on, come on. And of course I said, okay. So I walked that 50 yards and I walked right up to her and I said, listen, I know this is awkward. We're all about to like go to college and lead our own lives, but I just wanted you to know something that you're one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. I just wanted you to know. And like all things like that go, it actually went really well. Uh, It was a great conversation. She uh, gave me a hug. It was super sweet. And uh, I was bold enough a week later to ask that girl out on a date. And this is where the story stays awesome. Uh, She said yes. And so uh, I, for a whole week solid, I probably prayed a hundred different prayers, right? And they all were generally the same, which was, dear Lord, I was a young Christian at the time, dear Lord, please allow this once-in-a-lifetime meeting at TGI Fridays to, to begin the journey of an incredible relationship that somehow we'll stay together in college, we'll get married, have beautiful babies, and the rest, the rest of our lives will be happy. I probably prayed some version of that prayer a hundred different times. Oh, by the way, worrying like, is this shirt going to be okay? Are these pants going to be okay? Like, do I buy new shoes? Do I not buy new shoes? Uh, what do I eat? I don't want to pig out in front of her. So, so I make it on the date. And we kind of Uh, We go through dinner and we get done with dinner. And, you know, I was instantly reminded of the great philosopher Garth Brooks, (laughs) who once said, sometimes you just have to thank God for unanswered prayers. Now, listen, she was super sweet. I'm sure she still is today. Uh, But that day didn't go well. We really didn't have that much in common. And, well, we were going two different directions. And so while it was a, a sweet, nice experience, I learned really, really well that day that my standard of what happiness looks like, especially down the road, was way off. And maybe you've been there too. Uh, maybe that the idea for you is, uh, is different. I'll talk about a couple maybe of those ideas that you think happiness looks like here in just a second. But doesn't it beg the question? Doesn't it beg the question, what is happiness? 
What is happiness? We all have our own standards, whatever it is for you. A lot of us, once we graduate high school, maybe we enter the workforce right away, maybe we go to college before we get to the workforce, and a lot of us have this built-in standard in our mind about money. How much money do we need to make to consider ourselves content or happy? And did you know that Purdue University commissioned a study to find that number? They studied 1.7 million people over 164 countries, and here's what they found. They studied two things. One is what they called life evaluation which is basically the standard at which if I reach this point, everything else in my life, for as far as I can see, will be fine. They also looked at, hey, how much money do you need to make to be happy day to day? The first number they found for life evaluation was the ideal income point. At $95,000 a year, most people will tell you, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm stable, I don't have anything in this life that can affect me, I'm fine. But Another number, $60,000, a year, they found that, hey, day-to-day happiness can be found there. Now, you might be below that, you might be above that, you might be right at it and feel like it's not where you need to be. But they found this standard. They found an idea that, hey, listen, we can look at 1.7 million people and tell you where their happiness level is. Maybe income is not it for you. Maybe it's something different. It's the relationships that you're in and the family that you're in. Maybe, maybe you're a student. You're a student right now and you're about to approach the next school year, maybe you're later in your high school years and that GPA is extremely important because some people will tell you your GPA will set the standard for your life or college scholarships or whatever it is and well, maybe for you, you're a parent, you're on the other side of that, right? So you're just praying to God that your kids get good grades in school, that preferably they stay out of jail. Maybe they win that ping pong scholarship you've been hoping on, right? Maybe for some of us, it's our home or the house that we live in, or maybe that next house that we don't quite have, right? It's the how many square feet do I have, and what neighborhood do I live in, and well, it's that pursuit for more and more and more and more space in our home. Oh, if I just had that man room, things would be great. Maybe for you, it's another kind of relationship. Maybe you're in a marriage right now, and your standard of happiness isn't really being met, so you're just not happy. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side, right? One of my best friends growing up, walked away from his wife and his kids because, well, he arrived at a point one day when he realized that, well, he just wasn't happy anymore. I don't know what the standard is for you. Is it stuff? Is it just the things that we fill our lives with? Amazon Prime Day, anybody? A lot of you guys saw pictures of dogs like I did. Am I the only one that searched for a five-year-old's booster seat for the car this week? 35 bucks, great deal, still didn't buy it. Regret. We all have different standards of what happiness looks like for us. And actually, that's the problem. Because I believe this is what happiness looks like. I believe happiness is temporary. What we think of as happiness, it's fleeting. It's always changing. And you know what? That Purdue study found this idea called conditional happiness. Maybe this won't surprise you, but for every dollar over $95,000 a year that someone brought home, their happiness became conditional. They reached the point where they thought they would need to be, well, then it became about the pursuit of the next dollar. Well, that next dollar meant that you might be able to afford the next thing, which then wasn't great enough, so then you needed the next thing that costs more dollars. They actually found that the amount of money that you make as it increases over the ideal point that your level of happiness went down. And isn't that true for us? 
Come on. We look at this idea of happiness and it's, well, it's always governed by our circumstances or that thing we have now. I have, you know, I've been around friends in my life that love the newest, shiniest thing, but guess what happens two weeks later? A newer, shinier thing comes out. So when you look at scripture, you look at the idea of what God says happiness looks like. I just want to briefly point to the difference between happiness and what we call joy. You see, joy is something that's pervasive. It's an overall sense of well-being. It's something that God has in mind when he thinks about the idea of, that we translate as happiness. Now, I want to tell you that I've been on this stage before, about six months or so ago. Uh, we did a whole talk on joy, what it is, how you get it, how you keep it. So I encourage you to go back to the podcast and take a look at that if you're curious about joy. Uh, but today I want to stay with this idea of happiness because we started by saying that God just wants us to be happy, right? Does God want you to be happy? No. Okay, I'm joking. That was for shock effect. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Part of this journey in walking with Christ, sure, it's going to include happiness. It's going to include some temporary happiness, but it's a lot more about joy. It's about God's idea of happiness. And so, no, 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 God does not just want you to be happy, but I think I know what he really wants. It's in your notes this week. God just wants my heart. God just wants my heart. Now, I know right now we're tempted to think about the idea of heart like a Disney princess, and so all of us right now are thinking about this emotional center of our lives, right? This, this thing where our passion or our emotion comes from. And I want to talk about this really quickly today before we get any further, because the idea of the heart to God, and in particular, the way that we read it in the Word of God is different. You see, we view the heart maybe a couple different ways. An emotional center maybe, uh, or maybe the physical pumping organ in our chest that keeps our body alive. But as you read the idea of the heart, which by the way is the most common term in scripture to re that relates to our relationship between us and God. It's used more than a thousand times in scripture, but it is the center of everything that you are. The writers of our scripture use the idea of the heart to say it's the filter of everything. Yes, it's the center of your emotional being, but it's also the center of your intellectual, your physical, and your spiritual being all in one. So it should lead us to view the idea of the heart in Scripture maybe a little bit differently than you have before. So I want to point to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, to show you how we get to this idea of what God views our heart to look like. An instruction, you must love the Lord your God with all of yours, say it with me, your heart. Well, I heard online on that one. You must love the Lord your God with all of your what? Your heart and your soul, and your strength. As it's written this way, the writers of our scripture want you to understand something really important. Although we gloss over it from time to time, the idea of the heart is the center, is the everything. So you see soul and strength after that, but the writers want you to know one thing, the soul, the strength. Sometimes you'll hear the word mind in there all come through our heart. That's why when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment out there? What is the one thing that you want us to do, Jesus? We shouldn't be surprised that he says some similar words, maybe. I want you to see how it changes when Jesus responds about what the greatest commandment is. You must love the Lord your God with all your what? Your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You clue seekers out there realize that the only thing that changed was where it's found in Scripture. Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to double down on it. The single greatest commandment is love the God, love the Lord our God with all of your heart. 
So we shouldn't be surprised to find all throughout scripture how we should relate to God and what our heart has to do with it. In our last series, Danny uh, talked a lot from the book of Proverbs, which are basically lessons passed down between a father and a son, Solomon telling his son, hey, listen, these are the things that I want you to know. So in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, Solomon says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Solomon says, listen, son, if I need to tell you anything, if you're gonna extend energy on anything, if you're gonna protect anything, guard your heart. Because everything else in your life comes after that. The great psalmist, the songwriter, a man after God's own heart, David, in the book of Psalms would say it this way in Psalm 119. He would say, I've hidden your word in, your, in my heart that I might not sin against God. Flip that on its head for us real quick. David is saying, Lord, I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to do harm to you. So what do I do? I take your word, your instruction, your love, your heart from me, and I hide it in my own heart because I know that if it is there, I won't sin. So this idea of the heart's a big deal to God. I think he just wants our heart to begin with. But what's he gonna do with it? Okay, great, Matt, now I know what the heart means when I read my Bible, now what? Well, I'm here to tell you that I, uh, about something I think happens when God has our heart. When God has our heart, he changes the world. When God has our heart, he changes the world. Some of us right now are thinking about Miss America pageants and world peace and yay, great cliche, change the world, thanks a lot. But I think this is how it really works. In fact, if you were to ask our senior pastor, Danny, he'll be back up here in a couple of weeks. If you were to ask him, hey, what's God up to in this world? Seriously, what is God doing in this world? Almost every single time, this is the answer that's gonna come out of his mouth. He's gonna say this. He's gonna say that God is in the process of overcoming evil with good by transforming human what? Hearts. Now, why is that important? to our senior pastor. Why is that important to Danny? Why is it literally on the wall in his office? It's because I think Danny understands something that we should understand. This is how the kingdom of God works. Like literally, this is how you and I were designed to interact with the rest of creation. The transforming of our hearts. And he has something to do with it. I see some of you are nervous right now because I haven't said the word happiness in a little bit. But I want to show you something amazing. I want to show you something that happens when God has your heart for you. Danny's favorite dead guy, Dallas Willard, says this. A heart rightly directed, therefore, brings health and wholeness to the entire personality. You see it? Does that sound like happiness to you? Like who wants to sign up for some of that, right? Who wants to sign up for some health and wholeness for our whole personality? You see, if your heart is rightly directed, we shouldn't be surprised that our entire personality is affected as well. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just making you happy in your own little bubble, in your own little world. Because God has something way bigger in mind. And it's about how he shows himself to the world. In your notes, I think that God reveals himself to the world through the impact that I make. I believe that God reveals himself to the world through the impact that you and I choose to make in this world. I was in a small group of married couples. Jen and I were engaged 
And uh, we were learning all kinds of things from married couples at the church we grew up in and about how to live the life, how to avoid problems as a married couple, how to love each other well. But we went through this thing as a church called the 40 Days of Purpose. How many of you guys have read uh, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? Or maybe you've been alive long enough to know that it's a thing. You see, in the Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren says something later in the book that that just hit home for me. It made real for me something that I had kind of done out of obligation before, but never truly understood. It's simple that it's difficult. Here's what Rick Warren said. He said, you were saved to serve God. We were saved to serve God. Yet some of us in this life, we chase after all those things that we think will make us happy. We run, we chase, we hunt them down. We're constantly disappointed, so we chase something else or the greater thing in that pursuit. We actually believe that that is the abundant life that Jesus promised when he came to earth and, oh, by the way, when he saved your soul, that that's what truly matters. And if that's you today, you are missing out on so much. You are missing out on the whole purpose that he saved you to begin with. You see, were you saved for you? Was your soul important to Christ? Yes. And that salvation is definitely for you, but that's not where it ends. And that's why we, we look at Jesus' instructions right before he goes back to heaven. He looked at the people that had been following him all along and still happened to be there after the death and resurrection. And he has something important to tell them. And you know, we gloss over these words because we give them nice cliche phrases or nice Christian words to kind of package them up. And we say things like the Great Commission. But I want to show you the first words of that and see what it means to the idea of our impact in the world. Jesus looks at his disciples, his followers. He says, therefore, what? Go and make disciples. And some of the words after this make some of us nervous because he would say, hey, go make disciples of all nations. Some different translations will use the idea of ethnic groups or basically the people that don't look like us, the people that don't think like we do, they may not talk like we do. And Jesus says, hey, listen, listen, go to them. Go to everybody. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, you know all those teachings? I want you to take them and uh, and just hoard them for your own. Go hide on a mountain somewhere and just learn as much as you can about them. He doesn't say, hey, you know that whole life change thing that we talked about for those three years? And oh, by the way, that was made real in my resurrection. (laughs) Take all that, hoard it for yourself, make yourself rich and go buy the next boat. I'm not opposed to boats, but it's just an easy example there. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I saved you from something. I rescued you from something. Just be grateful and wait for heaven to come. No, no, no. He, he says, go. You, you have an impact to make. Like This world's going to be different because of you coming to me and giving me your heart. And if you haven't yet let that settle in yet, I want to share the story of some people who've already gotten it. Some people that are getting it day in and day out around here. And the first picture I want to show you, the first idea I want us to consider is this. This is a picture of a whole bunch of our students here at Emmanuel and some volunteers and some staff members here. This is the last day of our elementary camp. These people get it. I walked in the back of the room right at the end of camp this year and I saw something incredible. 
I saw a bunch of teenagers, which kind of makes sense, but then I saw some other adults like me try to teach hip hop moves to kids uh, to go along with some Jesus songs. You know, this is why I don't dance, you know what I mean? Uh, but I saw them doing really important things, two in particular. One was try to teach some kids that this is an okay place to want to come, that you can want to come to church because it's fun. And there are people that love you, that want to give you a place to be. And two, I saw them basically teaching kiddos the early truths about Jesus. And it was incredible because it was something that I did out of obligation when I was a kid. The small church I grew up in, and I would help with the vacation Bible schools and teaching kids during the weekend. And well, it was just kind of something that you had to do. And well, if I didn't do it, no one did it. That was kind of the philosophy, but, but here it was different. I talked to a few of them afterwards and I said, hey, 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 how'd camp go? And they looked at me with like four days of elementary kid exhaustion on their face. And they said, if I start to talk, I'm gonna cry. Because this week was w about way more than me. I got so much more out of this than the kids did. And that story was true and true and true and true after everybody that I talked to. I could tell you about the couple that I know here at Emmanuel that, well, their marriage got into some pretty deep trouble. They fell victim to some of the same things that, multi, that many marriages fall victim to these days. And they were this close to blowing it up. And they said, no. Nope, it's not gonna be us. We're gonna give our hearts to God, we're gonna give our marriage to God, and we're gonna get this back on the right track. So they partnered with us in our counseling rooms here at Emmanuel. They partnered with our team and God saved their marriage. But they weren't done. You see, they said, listen, God saved our marriage. He's made an incredible impact in our lives. Like, we can't just hold this to ourselves. Help us partner with other couples. Keep them from going through some of the same mistakes, the same troubles that we have, so that they don't end up where we were. So now they're a mentor, a couple. And they're doing that here at Emmanuel. And even then, that wasn't enough. Because within the last couple of weeks, there's a family that wasn't even connected to Emmanuel. They had a terrible family emergency situation two states away. And so they needed desperately to be able to bring some kiddos and their family here to Indiana to give them a safe place to be while things got worked out in Tennessee. But that family couldn't bring them in because they didn't have enough beds in their home. Well, just through the way God works, they heard that this family could use a set of bunk beds. And those aren't cheap, by the way. That same couple said, we'll do it count us in. They bought bunk beds through Amazon and shipped them to where they needed to be for a family they had never met and probably will never meet because they understood something simple. They have an impact to make in this world. I could tell you about the guy that I had a conversation with over the last week. He said, you know, hey, I just wanted to sit down and chat with you and let you know that this place has been welcoming. I found a home here at Emmanuel and man, I did not expect it. He's a guy who had expectations about church, about church people, about whether they were accepting or not, they could handle hard stuff or not. And somehow through God's grace, we became home for him. He's a guy who has contemplated and attempted suicide multiple times in his life. And God's providing him some victory over that. But he said, that's not enough. It's not enough just to feel welcome here, to come in here week in and week out and be challenged from the stage. He said, I wanna help other guys. 
I want to help other people not end up in the situation that I was in. I want to help partner with this church to find men at the source of, at the place where they need the hope the most. I want to give them a sense of hope so that they don't attempt their life. So now he's on a journey to figure out what that looks like, partnering with us. And then he was crazy enough to ask me about mission trips. The guy who's been in a place where he felt no value, no place in this world at some point in his life has been rescued from that. And now he's like, hey, listen, I hear that we're active in global partners all over the world. Like, how do I get active? How do I jump in and pour out a little bit of what God has given me? Some of you have tasted it just a little bit. Some of us at Emmanuel have tasted a little bit of that impact in the last month or so. We challenge you to pick up a box and fill it with 30 bucks or so worth of school supplies so that we could be a blessing to teachers and schools in our communities this fall. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be distributing those boxes. We're going to be sending some love to some teachers. And you got to be part of something that was bigger than you. You got to be part of something that was making an impact that we will only begin to see here in the next few weeks. And I can't wait I cannot wait for our campus teams to be on our stages and tell you about the relationships with teachers, the relationships with administrators and schools and students that you're going to help us create by doing something small. That's what it looks like to get it. That's what it looks like to not just show up on a weekend and check a box and head home. To understand that you have an impact to make. And so this week, I want to leave you with three questions. Three questions. The first one is simple. What impact are you making? What impact are you making? Maybe yet for some of us, the second question is, well, it's a little tougher. You see, uh, how many of you guys know, uh, or how many of you guys have been in our community and you've seen an Emmanuel shirt somewhere around the community on someone that you didn't know, right? An E-shirt. Yeah, I'm the awkward guy that sees you from down the aisle at the store and like, nice shirt. Um, It's cool. I'm awkward. But you see, I see those shirts everywhere and I love it. We're a t-shirt church. We kind of get picked on. I can handle it. Okay. But I see those shirts everywhere. And there's a question that I always want to ask. It's a question that I can't ask. Did you know it takes a thousand volunteers for our manual services across four campuses to happen every single weekend? A thousand volunteers alone. 1,200 people serve at Emmanuel, out of 8,000 plus of us that are connected to our church. So I can't ask this next question because it would be really awkward for about 6,800 of us. It's this question. Where are you serving? Where are you serving on the impact team? I would love someday to be a church that no matter where I run into an e-shirt in our community, that what happens is, is I see you and I'm like, nice shirt. I know that's awkward. Tell me where you're serving. Hey, nice shirt. Where do you serve on our impact team? Remind me again. Now, some of you right now are feeling maybe a little bit of guilt and you're about ready to burn your Emmanuel shirt when you get home. (laughs) Don't. Don't take my words right now and feel guilty about that. Don't take my words and feel guilt that maybe you're not on the impact team somewhere. Here's what I want you to know. 1,200 people at Emmanuel have an amazing answer to that question. 1,200 of us that sit in our seats next to us, that serve in our children's ministry, and all throughout what we do at Emmanuel have an incredible answer to the question, where are you serving? They're going to be able to tell you that, hey, oh, I serve, in, uh, I serve on the coffee team. 
Because I know that when people come in here and they're expecting church, they might not expect the first smell to come to their mind to be a fresh, free cup of coffee. They're going to tell you that, hey, listen, I love serving in the parking lot because it really fills my heart to know that I can avoid road rage for everybody leaving or coming to a campus. (laughs) Someday we'll have an online parking team. I don't know. But you're going to ask those people, what's it like to serve? What's it like to be part of the impact team around here? I dare you to ask one of them before you leave today because I have full confidence in their answer. And I would love all 8,000 plus of us to have that same joyful, happy answer. But even yet, there's another question. It's who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? See, this week, this question, this one wrecked me the most. Because I was a who. I don't want to make them feel awkward, but in the room today are two people that my name was right here. They were parents. They had their own kids running in a hundred different directions. And, and well, some, for some reason, and, and I have to believe it's because of their heart for God. They saw a struggling 12-year-old kid they needed a safe place to be when life got crazy. Who's your who? Who are you investing in? Because that answer to that question can tell you whether or not you've given your heart to God. Because he has always had others in mind with your journey. All of us have been a who at once. You sit in a seat today because someone has invested in you. Someone has lived a life that at least looks a tiny bit like Jesus, that you've given enough trust to show up here. Or maybe you've been here for years because people have been investing in you. Three questions we should all be asking ourselves this week. And I hope, I hope that you will take that as a challenge and not just a teaching from a stage. And yet I know there are people that are joining us today that the whole first part of what we talked about was hard enough as it is. This idea that I can give my heart away is something that's not easy to contemplate. That whole search for happiness thing is, sometimes it's nice. But I'm here to tell you that if you have yet to place your heart in the hands of a loving and living God, you know what I mean. When I say that you've probably chased after all those things that were gonna bring you happiness and yet you've been disappointed. And you shouldn't be surprised. Because the way that God designs us is with a place specifically built in our hearts that only He can fill. The pursuit for happiness will always end in disappointment unless you give your heart away. And so today, if you're in a place where Maybe you've been here three, four weeks. Maybe you've been here six years. Maybe this is your first time here. There's no wrong time or better time to take your first steps to give your heart to God. Because I guarantee you, that real source of joy, that real source of happiness is there. So in a moment, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer because we believe that it's as simple as starting a conversation with your heavenly father and putting your heart in his hands. 
And for all of us that have made that decision before, we've placed our heart in the hands of Christ and yet our life, well, it looks like Jesus some days and other days, well, we struggle along the way. This is your chance to start with a who. Because the who for you right now is those that are considering placing their faith in Christ. So I want you to use this time to pray for those hearts ready to make a decision. Will you all bow your heads with me? If you're in a spot and you're ready to hand your heart to God, I just, just say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to come and, and to have a conversation. I thank you for being a God that forgives me. I've heard that you came to this earth that you taught a lot of wonderful things, but that you suffered and you died. I thank you for all of that. More importantly, Jesus, I know that you rose from the dead, that you gave me hope that I can overcome anything in this world. And it's because of that, because of that resurrection and your sacrifice for me, that I can come to you. So Jesus, I place my heart in your hands today. And Lord, it's scary. So I ask you, Jesus, as, as I accept your gift for me, that you forgive me for all the wrong that I've caused against, well, against you and, and those around me. Forgive me, wash me clean. And as I take these first steps today, Remind me that you are right there. Help me to walk step by step as I learn about what it means to follow you, to truly give away my heart. Help me to taste that joy, that abundant life that you promise. Thank you, Jesus. I put my heart in your hands today. And it's in your name that I ask. Amen. Now, church, if you're somebody who made a decision today and placed your heart in the hands of a loving and living Savior, I don't wanna gloss over that. I don't wanna just have the rest of us take that for granted. You see, when I first came to Christ as an early teenager, uh, I borrowed a Bible from the back of the pew that the church that I was in, I stole it. That's what I'm trying to say. I think I asked for forgiveness uh, back then. If I didn't, Lord, forgive me today for that. But I don't want you to have to feel like you have to steal one. But I do wanna tell you that that same desire that I had to understand what God says about me, how he loves me, what he did for me, and how I can live a life full of joy and peace and patience. I want you to have that for free. And so before you leave today, at whatever campus that you're at, you can go to the back of the auditorium and see our folks at our starting point tables. They're gonna put a free copy of the New Testament in your hands. It's specifically designed for you as you take your first new steps with Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you to take that bold step and they'll tell you about how you can connect with us as a church so that those steps that you take handing over your heart are not alone. So I hope that you'll do that today. And for the rest of us, can we not have some joy and some celebration for those that have put their, their hearts in Christ today? Come on. This week, this week I want you to take one step, just one step 
towards pouring out your heart and understanding that you have an impact to make in this world if you're not making one already. That God designed you to, to come to Him, to be filled by, with joy by Him alone, but that it was never intended for just you. Can you take one step this week? Can I hear you tell me you're gonna take one step this week? Let me hear you. A lot of you are nervously clapping right now and that's okay. I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed. And our campus teams are gonna take it over right now and they're gonna allow you to take that step towards serving somebody this week. Thanks guys.